Good evening. This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Scott Huntington. Dr. Huntington is an assistant professor of medicine at Yale, at the Yale School of Medicine, in the Division of Hematology. And he's here with me tonight to discuss hematologic malignancies, and particularly his interest in lymphoma. Scott, thanks so much for joining us tonight. That's great to be here. Scott, how did you get interested in blood malignancies, and how did you get interested in lymphoma? Yeah, sure. So um, two major uh, draws to the field. Um, one came very early in medical education, uh, where I had the opportunity to, to spend some time in a cancer clinic, a blood cancer clinic, and to witness uh, those uh, really rich and rewarding relationships between physicians and, and their patients in that um, you know, rather difficult uh, period of uh, cancer diagnosis and really guiding them uh, through the therapy was really a rewarding experience. And so um, that patient relationship really drew me to this, uh, this field. And at the same time, the science behind uh, cancer and the science behind advancing our therapies for the cancer um, really was a, a twofold kind of link between the patients and the science. Um, and there really was no question early on that I wanted to be uh, an oncologist and, um, and a blood cancer specialist. Hmm. In terms of lymphoma, um, the real draw there is that um, uh, lymphoma can impact patients of all ages, so I have a very diverse patient population, um, and uh, the therapies are incredibly diverse. And so every day is something new, something exciting, and it's a very multidisciplinary uh, field where we have our pathologists involved in terms of the diagnosis. We have our uh, chemotherapy or therapies that we're, we're recommending, and also radiation therapists as well kind of coming together. And so it's a really incredibly rewarding field to be in, um, and the scientific advances uh, are, are really coming quickly so that the, the therapy is changing and uh, improving clinical outcomes uh, for the better. Hmm. So is there more than one kind of lymphoma, not one unique disease? Yeah, so lymphoma is the most common uh, hematologic malignancy. So it's about 60% of all blood cancers. And in terms of blood cancers, um, that um, uh, represents about 10% of cancers. So within uh, blood cancers, lymphoma is the most common, and there are many different types of, of, of lymphomas. We uh, typically categorize the, the more broad categorization to Hodgkin lymphoma and non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, and with, within Hodgkin lymphoma, there are a few different varieties. Um, most classically, patients present in their younger, uh, either late adolescence or younger adulthood, uh, whereas non-Hodgkin lymphoma can be further divided many, many times over uh, into T cells and B cells, and within those, there's many different subdivisions. And the therapies really uh, depend on, on what uh, you know, subtype of a subtype of lymphoma that you have. And so um, the pathology diagnosis and uh, the uh, clinical diagnosis really come together to form uh, what, the, what the therapeutic recommendations will be for our patients. Hmm. So how do patients, uh, how do patients find out that they have a lymphoma? Like, why would you think, be worried about it, or how would you come to medical attention? Sure. Um, so the clinical presentation for lymphoma varies as well, and so there are very slow-growing, what we call indolent lymphomas or low-grade lymphomas, where a patient may be completely asymptomatic, um, and the diagnosis usually comes incidentally. And so that means on an annual, annual physical exam, maybe a, pa a patient um, uh, notices a lump, and their, their provider uh, recognizes that this is a new lymph node that is enlarged, um, and that could lead to a diagnosis, or potentially um, annual blood counts may, might be low 
low, and so that could lead to further workup. And then finally, actually it's quite common, is that patients are getting um, imaging for other, other diseases or other, other etiologies, whether it be a kidney stone or um, appendicitis, and sure enough, there's some lymph nodes that are there um, on imaging, and uh, further diagnosis could, could certainly define whether this could be an indolent lymphoma. On the other end of the spectrum are the more what we call aggressive or um, uh, kind of high-tempo uh, lymphomas, where patients really uh, progress over weeks to, to months in terms of becoming symptomatic. And so the symptoms associated with that may be a rapidly enlarging uh, node or lesion, um, uh, profound fatigue or anemia, um, where someone might be short of breath, um, really having trouble getting up to kind of start their day. Um, there's also risk for low platelet count sometimes. So these are the, the, the cells that stop us from bleeding. So patients may have bruising or easy bleeding. Um, and then finally, things like weight loss or poor appetite, a fever, chills, night sweats. Those are the, the classic symptoms associated with more kind of up-tempo or aggressive lymphoma. Hmm. And, and uh, while those symptoms uh, are scary, I would think, I think people get really frightened when they're losing weight and not trying to, or, you know, those night sweats, which can be so uncomfortable and everything. In some ways, uh, you know, the, the other thing you were mentioning earlier about the low-grade lymphomas being found on a scan, it, what a scary thought that you could have these enlarged cancerous lymph nodes and not know about it. Isn't that something we, we should be scanned all the time for to get them out as quickly as we can? That's a really good question. So, um, in terms of indolent lymphomas, uh, the classic tempo is that really these things are forming over over years, typically, um, and. Um, when they do form, uh, usually they're, they remain asymptomatic until uh, they develop um, either the accumulation of cells that they're pushing on, um, you know, an organ that that may that may be of importance, or they're on the periphery, so we can feel these lymph nodes and they become a, a, the attention to the patient. The thing about indolent lymphoma is that um, these are very slow growing, and our therapies are highly effective, um, but the treatment actually can't get rid of all the all the, the lymphoma cells. So the indolent lymphomas generally generally are actually treated um, right before the patient becomes symptomatic. So if we identify it, we actually do this thing that we call active surveillance. And so we're looking at kind of the pace, defining the pace of a, the indolent lymphoma and really trying to treat before a patient might become symptomatic. That's really in stark contrast to the more aggressive lymphomas, where these aggressive lymphomas, the cells are really all replicating. And so our traditional therapies that go after fast dividing cells have the potential to get rid of all of them. And so we actually can cure a very um, you know, a high number of aggressive lymphomas. And so as soon as an aggressive lymphoma is diagnosed, we are uh, more apt to really try to um, treat this aggressively with, with treatment. Um, and again, for the indolent lymphomas, um, commonly we do this thing called active surveillance where we're really just watching the patient, which can be very difficult for, for someone that they're diagnosed with a new uh, disease, they're told it's a cancer, um, but then we step back and say, we need to watch this. Never and, mind, right? Yeah. And... Um, you know, in, in some folks, we can watch this for, for years and years, and potentially um, they will never need therapy. And so that's the real, the, the real um, quandary is that we, we certainly want to treat patients um, if it's going to benefit them um, and uh, improve their quality and, and quantity of life. Um, but we also recognizing that, that some patients actually may never need treatment, and we wouldn't want them to, to really um, have the experience of, of, of the side effects potential of, of the, our therapy. So it's, it's a bit of a nuanced balance in terms of in lymphoma, there's a really uh, a large spectrum of clinical disease, and the therapies um, really range from, from uh, watching 
to more intensive treatments. So it sounds like although you specialize in one particular group of cancers, which seems like it could be rather limited base of knowledge, in fact, you're dealing with dozens of different things that you need to know a lot about. That's exactly right. Yeah. Fascinating. And um, is there any way in these lower-grade lymphomas to um, study them to know which patients are more likely to have a, a earlier progression or, or more likely to never need to be treated? Is this something people are trying to figure out? Sure, sure. So I guess we take, take a step back and, and discuss how we diagnose a lymphoma. So typically lymphomas, they do involve the lymph nodes. Um, we do occasionally have what we call extranodal or lymph, lymphoma that affects outside the nodes. But really the way that we diagnose it is with a biopsy. So ideally, we take out the area of the lymph node, a small, a small piece, to look at it under the microscope. That helps with the diagnosis. But there are a number of other things that we're learning about um, of lymphoma and, and cancer in general, which is really trying to figure out what, what are the drivers behind our cancers. And so in some lymphomas, we can actually uh, find early drivers that may pretend um, a more uh, aggressive uh, disease course, number one. And number two, uh, we may find things that actually predict a response to one therapy therapy or the other. So within a, a, a single um, type of lymphoma, we're further subcharacterizing uh, based on kind of the molecular markers, and that really is going to have a, a pretty um, large impact on treatment going forward, um, helping stratify risk, but also trying to predict which therapy is the correct um, approach for an individual patient. So personalized medicine is really coming to lymphoma at a, at a rapid pace. Hmm. So are these tests that uh, can be helpful in choosing therapies, selecting therapies, or uh, in terms of uh, prognostication, are they now standard part of diagnostic workups in most pathology labs? They're, they're, they, they're a growing, yes. They're a growing um, phenomenon really out, not, out, not only in academic center but outside where, for instance, for chronic lymphocytic uh, leukemia or small lymphocytic lymphoma, um, there are genetic either mutations or what we call translocations that are basically rearrangements of, of common proteins um, that really should be do, being done in all uh, patients with diagnosis because they really have a, a large impact on therapeutic choices. Um, not only in, on risk stratification, but really uh, patients with a certain type of CLL um, seem not to respond as well to chemotherapy and really should be getting uh, novel, what we call novel or oral agents that are, that are more uh, targeting the drivers behind the CLL as opposed to traditional chemotherapy, which is really about going after uh, cells that are dividing um, and, and, and leading to cell death that way. And when you say drivers, you're talking about uh, mutated protein genes and proteins that biologically affect the cells. Is that right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So in terms of uh, many lymphomas, uh, the, the major driver is the downstream of what we call the B, in terms of B cell, the B cell receptor. And so many of um, these uh, genetic aberrations um, are basically driving the B cell to, to replicate, um, to, to continue to accumulate, as opposed to what's supposed to happen is that these cells um, eventually have a switch that allows them to die. And so this, the on switch is basically left on, and these uh, new treatments are trying to kind of uh, sequel and, and squash that on switch. Um, and Turn the on switch off. Exactly, yeah. Forgive my ignorance, but what's a B cell, Scott? Yeah, so in terms of um, lymphoma, we classically d subdivide into two, so T cells and B cells. Uh, B cells are really um, all about um, uh, on the path towards what we call antibodies, which are... Um, 
what our body makes in response to, to seeing proteins that they don't like. So like infections. Infections, uh, vaccines. So when you get your annual influenza shot or your pneumovax, um, it's really about the B, size, B cells making an antibody response. The T cells, on the other hand, are, are a very diverse field of uh, lymphocytes that have uh, a number of functions in terms of uh, in terms of allergies, in terms of kind of uh, allowing us to see the world in kind of the correct way. So not over over um, reacting to to every food antigen, um, but also in controlling when things get out of out of out of hand or have damage, cell damage. The T cells are really important, and so both T cells and B cells. Um, can, um, can, can lead to lymphoma, and the therapy uh, for those are, are quite, quite different, um, and uh, that's, that's kind of the, the difference between B and T cells. Gotcha. So when you're talking about these B cell lymphomas, you're talking about lymphomas that are related to these antibody-forming cells or, or the precursors to the antibody exactly. cells. Exactly. Right? Okay, gotcha. Um, so uh, how is the field changing? You, you mentioned that there, there are new treatments or oral treatments mm-hmm. what what what's going on that's new and and how would people know about that stuff sure so i think the major driver of of clinical changing and and what we're doing for our patients is better understanding of the disease of themselves so um, recognizing that a given what we what we thought was one kind of basket of lymphoma diagnosis is really a number of subclassifications uh, where there's different drivers uh, within the lymphoma and recognizing that we're able to bring in uh, different therapies to either target uh, that driver um, or combining our traditional therapies um, to really uh, um, improve uh, both the responses, so getting into a nicer response or deeper response, and hopefully um, increasing the, the, the chance of cure for many of our patients. Well, this is a really fascinating area, Scott, uh, and I'm going to want to pick up on this after our break. But uh, at this moment, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about lymphoma with our guest, Dr. Scott Huntington. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I've been talking tonight with my guest, Dr. Scott Huntington, about uh, lymphoma, the different kinds of lymphoma, and uh, their genetic drivers and new treatments. Scott, uh, before the break, you were uh, telling me that... um, the, the new development in treatments for lymphoma have come from a better understanding of the biology of the different subsets of lymphoma. Could, could you walk me through uh, some interesting examples or an interesting example of that? Yeah, sure. So in the uh, more aggressive lymphomas where we have a, um, uh, therapies that are highly effective and, and can cure uh, a good percentage of folks, um, we've recognized that there are two major classifications uh, of this diffuse large, what we call diffuse large B cell lymphoma. And um, for many years, uh, we've recognized that some folks may not respond to our traditional therapy, um, which combines uh, what we call immunotherapy, which is kind of making our immune system recognize these cells as abnormal with traditional chemotherapies. 
And um, in doing so, we've able, we're able to identify a subset of um, what we call uh, activated B-cell lymphomas, which uh, may not respond as well to, to the traditional therapy that really has been um, a, a standard uh, therapy. And so now we're moving towards adding new therapies to the kind of backbone, mm -hmm. and early data suggests that that's really going to, to be beneficial and hopefully improve the outcomes um, to the levels that we were seeing in, in the non activated B cell forms. And so that's one uh, area where we, we recognize that, th that there were patients that weren't responding as well as others, and then diving down to see what, what's the difference between these two. And then on top of that, bringing in, uh, recognizing that these patients um, may have different kind of drivers and adding medications uh, to, to, to basically uh, target those. So new oral medications um, that, that look effective in that, and also kind of more uh, older uh, kind of immunotherapies or IMIDs that, that, that look very effective. And so that really has been happening in the last few years, that we're changing the way that we've been, been treating patients um, for really decades in recognizing that uh, we may have better ways uh, going forward. So that's really one exciting uh, area. Um, in terms of other really exciting therapies, um, immunotherapy clearly uh, is is a, a hot a hot topic really through all of uh, cancer. Um, in addition to um, diseases like uh, melanoma and uh, lung cancers, bladder cancers, where immunotherapy um, seems to be uh, growing in, in, in terms of uh, effectiveness. In terms of uh, Hodgkin lymphoma, we've seen similar, uh, really wildly successful results from, from these medications that we like to term checkpoint inhibitors. And the idea behind that is that um, Cancer cells are abnormal, and there's a chance that our immune system kind of at baseline may be recognizing these cells as abnormal. And, but there may be some other uh, kind of uh, uh, inhibitory uh, stimuli towards our, our own immune system. And so these, these agents that we term checkpoint inhibitors are really turning off that inhibitory signal and allowing our, our, our primed immune response to go after um, our, uh, our tumor cells. And in Hodgkin lymphoma, this looks like it's going to be a really uh, successful um, area. And as we move forward, immunotherapy may come up front uh, to, to, to really uh, change the way that we treat uh, many uh, Hodgkin lymphomas. And so with the success of that, we're looking at it in other, in other uh, lymphomas, follicular lymphoma, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, and even outside of um, lymphoma, we're looking at it in uh, leukemias and multiple myeloma. Um, and so that's really a fascinating uh, field. Uh, recognizing our immune system may already have uh, kind of a response, a primed response, and trying to unleash that response. On the kind of further uh, end of the spectrum, if our, immune, if our own immune system is not recognizing a cancer as abnormal, is there anything that we could do to potentially um, to basically charge our immune system after uh, uh, cancers, and blood cancers in particular? And this is where the field of um, chimeric antigen receptor T cells are Whoa, coming Whoa, what yes, was that? Yes. Chimeric? Yeah, so chimeric antigen re receptor T cells. And so the idea behind this is, is really fascinating. Um, T cells had the capacity to, to really target, um, to target a cell, to target and, and, and lead to cell death. And um, if our own body isn't able to recognize a cancer as abnormal, could we maybe take our own immune system and charge it towards, towards the, the cancer? And this um, has been done for, for many blood cancers uh, with the primary data coming from um, 
these chimeric antigen receptor T cells or CAR T cells. CAR T cells. I'm like saying that better. Yeah, CAR T cells um, towards uh, B cell uh, cancers. So uh, things like chronic lymphocytic lymphoma, things like ALL. So um, actually pediatric. So young young uh, patients have have had really uh, wonderful responses to the therapies, and um, the experience uh, it looks very promising, and hopefully um, will be available to, to many patients going forward. So. Really, as we understand more about the cancer, we're trying to figure out, are there um, ways that we can uh, stop the driving uh, forces behind the cancer? Many times these are oral medications. Um, the immunotherapy, uh, the checkpoint inhibition, we're really trying to, to um, release our own immune system that's already primed. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we're trying to actually um, take our immune system and educate it against our, our own cancer. And so those three um, fields are really uh, developing at a rapid pace and are likely to change the way that we, we treat cancer uh, going forward. Hmm. Fascinating. So, you know, I think a lot of uh, patients... Uh, you know, they're, they're not feeling well, they've had weight loss, night sweats, uh, there's been a lymph node biopsy, uh, an oncologist tells them, well, you have lymphoma, and, um, you know, it seems to me that uh, oftentimes the patient may be presented with a treatment plan. Um, it seems, from what you're telling me, like the patient should maybe expect to hear, well, you've got this kind of lymphoma, or we did these kinds of studies, which specify this treatment over that, but I mean, it must be hard for patients. First of all, patients don't really have this information, right? So, so how do you know if you're getting the right treatment? Yeah, so that, that's a really, really important question. So, um, the diagnosis is is one that is it's really important because clearly the diagnosis is what drives the, the the treatment, and we hope that the proper diagnosis leads to the most optimal treatment. Um, and so. Um, you know, having your uh, pathology, so your tissue reviewed at a center where they actually uh, see many, many uh, lymphomas and, and can further subclassify. Um, we commonly um, uh, see cases in our pathology here where if, if something isn't um, clear, um, the the provider or the pathologist, referring pathologist, may, re may actually send the tissue to a academic center for a second opinion. And so not only are we seeing um, in lymphoma second opinions clinically for treatment of variation, but actually getting the diagnosis right is vitally important. And so second opinions for pathologic review are, are actually quite important. So um, you know, just talking with a provider and saying, is this a, cl is this a classic case of X disease? Um, does everything ma make sense? Is there anything that um, doesn't align? And if things don't align, you know, asking for, um, you know, could we send this, this test or could we send um, this to a second uh, pathology review um, could really be, I think, a benefit for patients. Hmm. So sometimes a second opinion will is important whether it's actually showing up at a center yourself or at least having your pathology reviewed. Yeah, and I think in in many cancers um, we find that the multidisciplinary approach is really the way to go. So to have the things that we call tumor boards where we're 
or pre presentation of more challenging cases are presented to really get the input of um, many clinicians, many pathologists, um, so really that the diagnosis solidified, and that can also be very, very helpful uh, for many cases. And is radiation sometimes still a part of the therapy? Yeah, so radiation is, is part of uh, therapy in some uh, folks with lymphoma. Uh, radiation is a local treatment. Um, you know, we classically think that many lymphomas are um, kind of uh, systemic or blood treatment, blood cancers at time of diagnosis. Um, but if lymphoma is caught in an early stage um, where there are only one or two uh, regions of the lymphoma, um, radiation, a local therapy, can be highly effective and, and certainly um, is uh, used in many, many forms of lymphoma, more commonly in things like Hodgkin lymphoma. Mm -hmm. And sometimes stem cell transplantation is used, is that right? Exactly, yeah. So stem cell transplant um, is sometimes used um, uh, following a good response to uh, first-line therapy. So if a patient has a, a disease that we think may, need, may benefit from higher-dose uh, therapy, um, we commonly will refer to our stem cell uh, experts where they provide um, patients with kind of a higher-dose uh, treatment and then... Um, um, basically to, to allow that to be safe, give them their own stem cells um, that were previously collected back. And so we call that a high-dose therapy with stem cell rescue or an autologous transplant. And then in some lymphomas, um, many of the T-cell lymphomas in particular, it looks like um, uh, stem cell transplant using someone else's stem cells uh, may be a benefit. So actually, uh, the idea behind that is having someone's immune system uh, in your body uh, may uh, help eradicate any of the last kind of lymphoma cells that, that may be remaining prior to the transplant. So that's an allogeneic stem cell transplant. And there definitely is a role um, for both of those in, in some patients with lymphoma. Complicated. Complicated field it, you're in, my friend. It, it's an exciting, uh, but uh, uh, it can be a challenging at times. And having a good team of, of pathologists, radiologists, and radiation oncologists alongside uh, is really quite important. Mm. Now, Scott, I know one of your passions and interests is uh, um, has to do with looking at uh, at uh, issues, medical issues uh, in particular around lymphoma, but maybe not exclusively the lymphoma, at a more global level, uh, uh, higher than individual patients or individual treatments. Can you tell me something about yeah, that? Yeah, so, so in terms of my, my research interests, I really have two hats. One is uh, clinical research in, in trying to make sure that uh, our patients here uh, at Yale have access to the most uh, novel, innovative, and promising uh, uh, clinical trials. And so that's one major interest. And the other is, at the end of the spectrum, um, really ensuring that um, these medical advances that we're making um, are able to be translated uh, globally to the population in the United States. I think we all recognize that um, cancer care and, and cancer treatments in particular um, have increased in costs over the last decade or so. Um, and we're recognizing that with higher costs and different differences in insurances, that maybe patients are having a burden, a financial burden, um, or having uh, difficult access to treatment. And so my research um, in, that, in that realm is really trying to focus on uh, addressing that access issue, addressing um, how um, cancer care is covered in terms of insurance providers, in really trying to make sure that uh, care is equitable going forward, because we have all these really exciting um, therapies, and I'm very enthusiastic um, that we're that we're developing, um, but we're, if we're unable to translate that into the population and improve clinical outcomes um, and cancer outcomes uh, globally. Um, I think that would be a, a real, um, a, you know, a, a real loss uh, in terms of a challenge that we need to get overcome, um, but really would be a travesty um, that that we really shouldn't jeopardize. Hmm. So how do you go about studying? that? 
Yeah, so in terms of um, uh, real-world outcomes, uh, we're entering the, the era of big data, and so looking at what is actually going on on, on the ground, so to speak. So uh, we have access to um, uh, kind of large databases of, of patient claims, so in terms of uh, what treatment they received, how they received it. Um, and looking at that, looking at uh, differences in uh, access and, or uh, therapeutic options uh, based on um, what sort of insurance a patient has potentially or what sort of out-of-pocket costs a patient has can really be telling in terms of um, what sort of access issues or insurance design issues that, that we may be able to address to, to ensure that um, you know care is equitable going forward. Hmm. So I guess we I guess we won't have time to get into the issue about whether we'd have a more equitable uh, system in the United States were there not so many different kinds of health care coverage, but that gets into politics. And unfortunately, uh, while of great interest, uh, we don't have time for that conversation, uh, but maybe next time. Scott, uh, this has uh, been a really terrific discussion uh, about your uh, passionate interest in lymphoma. And uh, we're so glad to have you on the faculty. Uh, as I haven't mentioned that, uh, that Scott joined us uh, just about a year ago and is doing great things uh, at the Smilo Cancer Hospital and the Yale Cancer Center. Um, so, Scott, it was really great having you here on Yale Cancer Center Answers, and I hope you'll come back soon. This has been a terrific show discussing uh, lymphoma. Until next week, this is Dr. Stephen Gore wishing you all a safe and healthy week.